had a hard time picturing what an NFL game would look like in an empty stadium. Now try to imagine Heinz Field for a Steelers game. Renegade blaring and 5,000 and change in there. Might actually be even weirder, huh? Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. Governor Wolf issued not only his directive from Harrisburg regarding what would be allowed in terms of fan attendance across the Commonwealth, uh, not just for big league sports, but for all sports. And it was based on a calculator, uh, based on whether it's indoors or outdoors, based on whether it's fewer than two and a half thousand people, whether it's fewer than 10,000, whether it's more than that. Long story short, events that are in stadiums of 10,000 or more, which of course applies to both of our big league stadiums in Pittsburgh, max attendance is 7,500. It's actually less than that because the number accounts for participants and security and workers and stuff like that. So the Steelers are estimating that for their game this coming Sunday against the Eagles, it'll be closer to 5,500 that actually gets in, and they'll be in the lower bowl. Um, yeah. You know, on one hand, like, you want to say, wow, this is great. What a landmark thing this is that we're back into these events and everything else. But then I'm instantly tugged in two diametrically opposed directions. I, I really am. On one hand, I legitimately worry, based on what I've read from real live actual scientists and epidemiologists about what's being expected this fall and winter with people going back inside, with people having kind of relaxed their standards a little bit, and then the natural, the original flu season, combining with everything else to get people sick and fill hospitals and all that other stuff. Don't forget that five years ago we had a flu season that all by itself took 80,000 lives. It just didn't draw anywhere near the headlines, obviously, of this more serious and more contagious condition. So that's one thing. Like, I, I don't want to see fans go back in to the stadiums and to the arenas and then have the rug get yanked out again. Not that they that this matters more than the the health situation. It's just, it's, you know, if you're going to open a door of some kind, open it and leave it open. That's the one side that's being diametrically pulled. The other one is... I got to tell you, I've been inside these stadiums for these events, for these big league events. PNC Park, other road stadiums in the majors, Heinz Field, other road stadiums 
for the National Football League. If you're putting 5,000, 6,000 people in a stadium of that size, you're being silly. Being just as blunt as I possibly can. If you're going to open them, open them to an actual reasonable number. You know, don't come up with something that's just so absurdly arbitrary. It's not just about the seating and staying separate uh, in the seating areas. It's not just about masks and making sure that you're enforcing inside and outside the stadium that people are following health guidelines. It's also about concourses, restrooms, the food that gets served, how it gets served, how many different food service places are open. Right now, as I go around these stadiums, you're talking about, I'm not kidding, one or two maximum food places. And even then, they're only serving boxed lunches that are prepared safely somewhere else. So again, I get it. There's more to it than just fannies in the seats and keeping people separate and and safe and not risking some super spreader event. But I also know that there's just so much more room and there's so many more ways to get it done reasonably and safely that what I hope here is, again, to swing back to two things, to the diametrically opposed things. On one hand, I hope that we exceed the expectations of the epidemiologists and we don't have this calamitous fall slash winter event. I am not optimistic about that based on way too many examples I see of bad behavior in this regard. But I can at least hope for it, right? I'm going to hope for it. And the other one, at the other extreme of this, is that I I hope the attempt that's being made here just within Pennsylvania is honest and operates on a sliding scale, meaning if the Steelers and Pitt do these games with these really, really tiny crowds with no incident, and by that I don't even necessarily mean somebody catches coronavirus. I mean incidents of people just flouting the rules and, and you know, tailgating and high-fiving and jumping all over each other, whatever. I, I don't expect any of this to happen. I'm just saying that's what I would consider to be an incident where you just say, okay, look, they had no method for controlling these fans' behavior. If the Steelers and Pitt show well in this regard, I hope they do have uh, the opportunity to scale it up a little bit more. Not that it's going to make some massive dent in the budget of either our NFL franchise or our most prominent college football program. But I think it's more of an optics thing in the positive sense. It's saying, hey, look, we can do this. We can live. Uh, We can find a way to congregate that's safe and responsible, and we can progress. And ideally, if there are advancements made in vaccine and in treatment 
as a lot of experts are expecting, as early as November, December. I mean, the most pessimistic outlooks on this I've seen talk about January. So we're not all that far off, but we can just start resuming to an extent with normalcy. You can tell I'm really kind of mixed on this, huh? At the same time, I get it. It's a big deal, you know? I mean, having people back in there cheering for the Steelers, that's part of who we are. That's part of what we are. It's going to be a good thing. I'm not knocking it. I'm not even really downplaying it. I'm just trying to be honest here with what I feel from both perspectives on this. And and it's a little uneasy. It's unsettling. And on that note, hockey is next on a similar subject. If you watch the NHL's virtual draft last night, I can't imagine it would have gotten great ratings, but it was well done. I'm not someone who's generally a fan of anything that the league produces for television, especially when its star is one Gary B. Bettman. But I thought he handled himself really well. There were some terrific moments in there. The Ottawa Senators having Alex Trebek, graduate of the University of Ottawa, uh, stand in the Jeopardy studio and announce the Senators' pick was really, really cool. Uh, That actually got a lot of attention beyond the hockey world from what I could see on social media. The Winnipeg Jets had the widow of Dale Howarchuk, Crystal Howarchuk, read out the Jets' pick, which was 10th overall, befitting the number 10 that that franchise's greatest player ever wore. And then, yeah, I mean, if you can ever find anything feels like a soft spot in your heart for New York, uh, I can't, but if you can, Alexi Lafreniere going number one overall uh, to the Rangers, while it's going to send shivers down the, the spine of everybody else in the Metro, including the Penguins, uh, over the long term, because the the Rangers now have, you know, between this kid, Kapokako, and uh a still fairly young Artemi Panarin. They very smartly signed to the mega deal last year. They have a team that's going to be doing some damage uh, for a long time. This isn't going to be like an Edmonton situation where they all just somehow inexplicably fail. Uh, There's a pretty decent cast of players there, but also management. They're not going to mess this up. They're just not. And, Soft spot, no, but afterward, when I saw some of the images on the on the Rangers' official site of Times Square, the gigantic vertical electronic billboard that's the most famous spot there was all lit up with the Rangers logo and an image of Lafreniere. It reminds me that it's actually kind of a big deal for this sport which is number four. I don't think anybody would argue that in popularity in the United States to have that kind of visual presence in the nation's biggest city. 
that does mean something. That does mean something, and I think it'll help moving forward, even if it won't be welcomed by Penguins fans. The number one thing, though, that came out of this draft came before it, and it was what Bettman had to say in his intro. This portion of Daily Shot is always brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. LGKG has been representing people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp cases, medical malpractice claims. They've been doing it for 80 years. LGKG has been AV rated. That is the highest rating a law firm can receive for legal ability and ethics. The lawyers at this firm have been designated as super lawyers. That's an actual official thing. Super lawyers, capital S, capital L, for over 15 years. That is a rare combination. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. You can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Before it started, Bettman used his stage, if you will. It was just one studio in Secaucus, New Jersey, where the NHL Network is headquartered. But he used this to let people know that the league's new target date to start next season is now January 1. The number that had been getting bandied about without ever having been official, or even official to this degree, was December 1. So that's pushing it back by a month. And that takes me back to the first segment and the challenges that the league is going to face in starting that season up. This is not the NFL that gets a gazillion dollars in TV money and can very almost casually afford to play games in empty stadiums because of the amazing amount of cash that still comes their way from the games being on television. This is not that. This is not even Major League Baseball. It's not the NBA. The NHL relies on anywhere between 37 and 50% of all of its revenue coming from arenas. Not just tickets, but everything that's involved in that, whether it's suites and sponsorships, parking, anything that's involved in humans going to games can account for as much as half of a team's revenue. Um, There's nowhere to hide from that. The NHL has frozen its salary cap at $81.5 million, but that salary cap is built on two things. One, a full season. Two, fairly full arenas. If they don't have both of those things, and now you're starting January 1, and you have nothing close to any assurance that your arenas will have a reasonable amount of people in them, reasonable for budget purposes, how are you going to pay the players? How are you going to pay anybody? I'm honestly a little surprised that there isn't more of a sense of panic about this. Occasionally someone will say, well, they can just go back into a bubble. No, they can't. 
for a bunch of reasons. You can't put 31 teams in one bubble, two bubbles, four bubbles. That's part of it. You also can't have bubbles make money because bubbles, based on what they actually are, don't have fans. So it doesn't matter where your bubbles are. It doesn't matter where your games are. How are they going to do this? The uh, formula that I mentioned to you in the first segment that Governor Wolf is using, and this, again, just applies to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and nowhere else, has what's called an indoor calculator and an outdoor calculator. And no, I didn't make those terms up. Those are real things. For the indoor calculator, the only one that applies to the Penguins and, of course, the Flyers also being in Pennsylvania, is that if you have a maximum occupancy of over 10,000 people, your allowable indoor rate is 10% of your maximum capacity. And within that, you're still allotted a maximum number of humans, even though, let's say, for example, the Flyers place actually holds oof, about 800, 900 more people than PPG Paints Arena does. doesn't matter. Your maximum occupancy in those two buildings is 3,750. And if the same principle applies to the Penguins and Flyers that's being put into place this weekend for the Steelers, then you further have to subtract all of the participants in the security and the food workers and the cleaners and staff and people like me that are going to take up somebody's space in this occupancy figure. So now you're down to what, 3,000? Maybe a hair over 3,000? Okay. Regardless of what you think about that, and I already shared my thoughts on that in the, before the break, what this really means here is that the Penguins and Flyers, never mind that the situation somewhere else might be, oh, sure, let everybody. I mean, in Florida, they, they, they don't care about anything. They'll, they'll do whatever. So let's say the Florida Panthers are told they're allowed to have 21,000 people ram into their place without masks and whatever else. Let's say that happens. That doesn't mean it applies to all 31 NHL franchises. This isn't a league thing. This is a state-by-state -state thing. And in Canada, it's a provincial thing. The Penguins and Flyers, if they're bringing 3,000 people into their respective arenas for games, will go broke in weeks. Not months, weeks. They will be unable to meet payroll. That doesn't require any advanced economics degree. It's common sense. They're having at least half of their budget stripped away while they're still maintaining full expenses. How, how, how does the NHL work around that? Do they go back to the players and renegotiate the renegotiation now that they just signed? And very peacefully and happily, I might add, which is very unusual in sports labor discussion anymore, 
this five-year agreement. And now they're just going to say, ah, let's just try it again. Maybe we're only going to play 40 games. Maybe we'll spread them out. Maybe we'll delay. Maybe they'll just bag the whole season. I don't know. I do know that this isn't workable. This 3,000 fans per game thing. It's not workable if they make it to 5,000 fans. I don't believe that it's workable if they make it to half the arenas. I really don't, meaning 8,000, whatever it is. I don't think that pays the bills. And I don't think the league would risk putting one or more teams into that precarious position. Bankruptcy, going and taking out loans and whatever else. No chance. There's no way Bettman's going to do that. No chance. And I'm not even scratching the surface here of traveling back and forth through Canada where the borders are still closed. And you'd better believe if this situation worsens at all on either side of that border. And by the way, it's starting to have more of an impact in Quebec and Ontario of late, I should add. If the border stays closed based on what either country wants, then you have seven NHL teams on one side, the other 24 on this side, and no way to play each other. And if you know what the standings are and what the alignment is, that doesn't work unless you just create some all-Canada division and realign everybody else. I'm not saying this would be the make-or-break thing. I'm saying it's just another thing. So all Bettman did with this announcement was the equivalent of a great big punt. He went, wow, we have no idea about any of this, except that we'd rather wait a little while to try to see how this stuff plays out. I am not optimistic, and if you've been reading my columns or listening to my podcast these past few months, you know that is not the norm for me. I am not optimistic about the NHL. That's not so much from a health perspective, but more from a financial perspective. Would love to be wrong. Someone, seriously, get this vaccine. You know, let's go. When we come back, a little bit of baseball, also off the field. experienced a 100% decrease in attendance in 2020. Okay, not breaking any news there, right? Well, the Pirates also experienced a 34% decrease in television ratings. And um, that one does matter. I think that one matters a lot, actually. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our good friends at the good cause that is the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. They've started a drive called growsharethrive.org in which any contribution that you make for a limited time gets matched. And to let you know about the impact that your contribution already has on people in our region, 
who don't know where their next meal is coming from, including children. One dollar provides enough food for up to five meals. Our staff and our company at DK Pittsburgh Sports proudly made a donation uh, early in the pandemic. And when we did this, we received documentation that's really thorough about where it is that your donation goes, how it's handled. And they do explain the math on that because it sounds crazy, $1 being enough for five meals, but they explain how it works and how it comes to be that way and how many people were given a real meal as a result of what you gave. One more time, it's growsharethrive.org. The Pirates for years have flouted their own badness, if you will, by being really, really good at local TV ratings. It's been one of the stranger aspects of this team's business operations for a long time. Even through the 20-year losing streak, through the 105-loss season the John Russell team had in 2010, and then a couple of the more recent bad years following the 2013 to 15 playoff appearances, their ratings were as high as top five in the majors, and even just a couple of years ago, top 10. And understand when I'm talking about ratings, I'm talking about very specifically their ratings on AT&T Sportsnet and nothing else. This isn't like on those rare occasions when they appear on national TV or anything like that. This is just that. And the way baseball is, those revenues go right to the team, local TV revenues, which is the number one reason for the massive economic imbalance that exists in baseball and why the sport needs a salary cap, but I'm not going down that road for the millionth time. The Pirates have done pretty well. Really well, actually. And then last year they had a dip. It wasn't so significant. It was single figures. And then they had this. 34% is a nosedive. And to make it that much worse, baseball as a whole, if you take the cumulative ratings, meaning all national and local and everything else, and throw them into one big pot of stew and shook them up, you'd come up with a 4% increase. And that kind of makes more sense, doesn't it? Because you'd think to yourself, well, there's nobody at the games. So they've got to be watching somewhere, right? So especially in places like, you know, all the usuals, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, they all had playoff teams in the case of the Dodgers, they had the best team in baseball. The Yankees were one of the better teams in the American League. So the places where you would want there to be high ratings and a lot of visibility for the purposes of the stew that I just mentioned, that's a good thing. Pirates fell off a cliff, man. A cliff like Wiley Coyote attached to an anvil. What happened? And... 
look, I know on one hand it sounds obvious. Whoa, they were bad, so nobody watched. No, 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 no. That doesn't explain this. It just doesn't. That might be what, you know, Joe Common Fan will say, but it, it doesn't match the data that was there before. People didn't just suddenly figure out that the pirates weren't good. They didn't just suddenly figure out that they don't endorse Bob Nutting's ownership of the franchise. That didn't just happen. Something happened. If I had a, an educated guess, and really my first instinct on this topic is that the Pirates were so bad, so fast, with that 4-17 and 17 start, but even before it reached to the, the point where it was 21 games and a third of the season was over. I mean, they were so bad, so fast. And the season, everyone knew, was going to be so short. And the nature of those losses, a lot of them were just so excruciating and demoralizing that you did wonder at times, uh, including the managing of Derek Shelton and leaving guys like Miguel Del Pozo in to pitch to five guys or whatever that was, that it could be really, really dispiriting and in an unusual way. Are you following me on this? Like, this was... Not just the team stinks, team isn't going to make the playoffs, I'm going to find something else to watch. This was a hard detachment. This is my guess on this. That's all it is. I'm not pretending it's more than that. This feels like this was a hard detachment. I felt that in, in our coverage. We do a lot of dealing with our readers on the site. We do our share of interacting on social media. And there were nights that the Pirates would do just stupid, terrible things. This was later in the season, and I'd get no response, like none. And I've been saying for years, and I've been saying this to people in the Pirates front office, count your lucky stars for every angry fan that you have, because the day that that fan flips the switch from angry to apathetic, oh my, are you in trouble. You're in trouble unlike anything you can even fathom right now. I also happen to be a believer that as Pittsburghers, the Pirates run through our blood. If that sounds overly dramatic, so be it. 2021 will be the 135th season of National League Baseball in Pittsburgh. 135 years. Those are generations and generations and generations. And even if you're not a multi-generational citizen of Pittsburgh, it doesn't matter. It's become part of the culture. When you're here, even if you're completely new to the city, you understand right away that the Pirates are part of it and are important to it. It's ingrained. So my belief within that is always that as soon as the Pirates get good, this will switch. This will be 
this will be everyone will go wow look at this whoa Cabrian Hayes remember Cabrian Hayes comes along in the final month and all of a sudden we're all like hey this is neat Cabrian Hayes look at this come on you noticed that too you were probably part of it I perked up a little myself I got tired of watching the same players every day that offense especially that offense this kid comes along he he hit 376 in a month Five homers, gold glove defense, run the bases smartly. I lit up too. And I think that if and when the Pirates are competitive again, people will come back. But the hill is a lot steeper to climb when people disconnect. They don't just Embrace it all over again. They're skeptical. They're nervous. Instead of applauding Cabrian Hayes, they, they'll fret over how, you know, in six or seven or eight years he might leave as a free agent. Every positive becomes a negative. There's no joy in it. There's no love in it. There's no hope. If you're a sports fan without hope regarding any team, got to find something else to do with your life you know and that's that's significant for the pirates this is a significant development for them and i'd be both surprised and disappointed if travis williams in particular the man who's now entrusted with building up the brand off the field as much as that's within his control isn't having significant discussions, meetings, conceptual ideas about how to change this. And I don't mean with AT&T Sportsnet. They're, they're just showing games. I'm talking about internally. How do they get all this negativity about this franchise to at least begin to turn a little bit? Hit bottom at some point here, you know? Thanks so much for listening to this. Sorry for the... Uh, you know, excessive non-sports stuff here. It just felt like that kind of day. I'll be on top of the, the Steelers today, being back at practice in preparation for Sunday's game against the Eagles. I'll be on top of the conclusion of the NHL draft, rounds two through seven, in which the Penguins actually have picks, beginning with the third round at number 77. And we'll try to go a whole lot more plain old sports tomorrow. Your front door. Your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.